0: You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We've finally made it to the one story in Daniel that we've all been waiting for, and it only took four months. Daniel in the lion's den. Woo! Yeah. All right. It's a a lot better when the whole church is here. Um... (laughs) You guys got to be louder, okay? Because when the whole church is here, the 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 grumbling is sounds like cheering. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, Pastor Blair got us started. On this passage last week and, and he set up the introduction to the story for us So I just want to go through that and and um, just really quickly so that we know where we are And so we learned in in Daniel chapter 6 that Darius the Mede. He's the new interim king of Babylon He had been planning on appointing Daniel to be to be the leader of all the the government officials, right? So he'd, he'd kind of be like the prime minister of the UK. So not the queen or the king, right? but but the head of the government so so Um, He'd have a lot of power and anyways some other politicians in the courts of of babylon. They didn't like this idea Maybe they were jealous of Daniel Maybe they wanted the position themselves or maybe they just didn't want this Jewish exile to be their boss and and um, So they tried to find some dirt on Daniel right in order to discredit him and get rid of him but because Daniel lived with such integrity first of all, in his faithful obedience to God, and secondly, in the way he honored and served others, especially the kings, they couldn't find anything to slander him with. They couldn't find anything. And, and one of the initial lessons here being for us, as it says in 1 Peter 2.15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. And in 1 Peter 3.16, he kind of repeats this when he says, Yet do this with gentleness and respect, spread the gospel, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage you, disparage your good conduct in Christ, will be put to shame. So these accusers were silenced. They couldn't find anything on Daniel. And in the end, we find in the story that they are actually put to shame because of Daniel's faith. And good conduct and this again this is a great example for us as exiles in this world to, that that we're called to live with with such integrity grace and goodness not only to shine the light of christ that's that's the primary reason but also so that when the world tries to accuse us or slander us they won't have any dirt on us that they'll be silenced anyways in, in order to get rid of daniel then they had to be a little more clever so they devised a plan to trick King Darius into signing a law which stated that no one in the kingdom could make petitions to anyone except for the king for 30 days, all under the punishment of being thrown into a lion's den if they didn't. So we have to understand that this wasn't strictly a, a religious or anti religious law that's being put forth, a, a law against praying or something per se, but rather on the surface level, this was actually a political policy. And this is probably why King Darius was like, yeah, this sounds good, and probably, probably why he signed off on it. As, as the new king, it, it would, it, this policy would ensure that the people in the kingdom would, would take a month, a whole month, to recognize his, his new authority as king and, and as the mediator between God and man. So he's making all the decisions, all the choices. And the preferred result would be that, that the people would become united under his reign. So it probably sounded like a good plan to him, as it was meant to. But unbeknownst to King Darius, the ulterior motive or or hidden agenda of the new law was to use Daniel's integrity and faithfulness against Daniel. They knew he prayed and made petitions regularly to his God. And now, according to this cleverly worded law, to do so was illegal. And it's during this uh, House of Cards type of drama where we find ourselves in the story. So please turn with me to Daniel 6, verse 10. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, if not, it will be behind me on the screen. Daniel 6, verse 10, and we're going to be reading to the end of the chapter. So it's a little bit long, but very entertaining. Daniel 6, 10 to 28. It says when daniel learned that the document had been signed he went into his house the windows in its upstairs room opened toward jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees prayed and gave thanks to his god just as he had done before then these men went as a group and found daniel petitioning and imploring his god so they approached the king and asked about his edict Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? Like they didn't know, right? Then the king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed. For he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. May my God send his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him and also before you, Your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Last year uh, in the summer, my family went on a trip to the Calgary Zoo. It was fun and is always interesting. I'm sure you guys have all been there or heard about it maybe. Most of you have been there. Uh, but, but i 'll be honest like i 've been to the zoo so many times. I, you know I went as a kid and you know field, school field trips and stuff like that, and with my family and i 've been there so many times most of it was kind of like that 's neat, but i 've been there done that right But then, in the early afternoon, we found ourselves looking at the lions, and they were sleeping as per usual. so we made sure the kids got a good look, and we, we started to go on our way to the next exhibit. But as we were walking away. All of a sudden, we heard one of the male lions roar. And I kid you not, everyone in the area stopped what they were doing. Anyone within hearing distance of the lion just froze. And we were all kind of looking at each other with those eyes like, did you hear that? And then he roared again. And everyone silently just kind of like stared towards the lion cage with awe. Like all our mouths were like, like, just wide open. Uh, some of us were scrambling to get, you know, a video in case he did it again. It, 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 I'm not exaggerating. It was incredible to hear this lion roar. And I've never heard a lion roar before in real life. You know, I've heard it roar at the beginning of movies um, or, you know, Aslan or whatever. But I'd never heard one roar in real life. And it was surprising how much authority and power that roar Conveyed, and and so yeah, we were all in awe upon hearing it. But but honestly, um, if there hadn't been a thick pane of glass between us and the lion, I assure you, we would have been very afraid at his roar. Over four hundred pounds of pure muscle and sharp teeth, an animal that can crush its prey in seconds, known to kill an average of two hundred and fifty humans a year, and that's today. So. If I'm honest, which I will be, even with that pane of glass between myself and the lion, I was definitely humbled at that roar. And don't get me wrong, the muscles in my loins didn't uh, go weak like Belshazzar's did in Daniel chapter 5. Had to bring that up again. But they, uh, they got pretty close because, because when you're at the zoo, you know, the zoo um, gives you this sense of comfort and safety amongst all these animals, but that roar was a reminder for me of how dangerous and scary and powerful these animals truly are. And, and in the same vein, when we hear the story of Daniel and the lion's den, we often read it as this safe, fun kid's story, as if Daniel's cuddling with a bunch of stuffies, right? And so we forget how violent and intense this story truly is. Think, think about it. Daniel is unjustly thrown into a den of deadly lions. That's crazy. That's intense. That's scary. Also, Daniel's probably like 70 or 80 years old. Poor guy, right? <laughs> and, and furthermore, why'd they even have a den of lions? <laughs> they must have been crazy to have a den of lions. But I guess the Calgary Zoo has one too, so same Z's, I guess. Um, But what's what's even even crazier is that Daniel isn't afraid. He isn't afraid. He hears about this new law, which is obviously meant to target his faith and target him specifically. But yet he goes to his house. He faces Jerusalem on his knees, as the scriptures teach him to do, and he gives thanks to God in prayer. I I repeat, he knows all about the lions and what's certainly coming his way, and yet he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks. And on that that end, I think we often forget that giving thanks is one of the most powerful tools that we have in our belt as Christian exiles in this post-Christian world. Even in the face of danger or or illness, even when our enemies accuse us or slander us or threaten us or make us feel uncomfortable for our faith, we can give thanks. Psalm 100 verse 4 tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, to God, and praise his name. As we should. Jesus is on the throne. Right? So we can give thanks. We, we have a peace and a joy and a sure hope in Christ that transcends any and every circumstance so we can give thanks. We've been made new by the grace of Christ and filled with the Spirit, so we can give thanks. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're given the power and the mind of Christ to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can live by faith and confidence, knowing that it's not in vain, because ultimately, in Christ, nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. So we give thanks. We give thanks because no circumstance or trial in our lives changes any of those glorious truths this is why hebrews twelve twenty eight says therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful by it we may serve god acceptably with reverence and awe yes even as we face the lion's den and Daniel certainly has this promised kingdom of God in mind as he, as he gave thanks and, and presents his petitions in prayer. And, and I can say this with confidence because according to Daniel 7, which takes place a couple of years before this event, God has already showed him uh, in a dream this future promise of a coming Savior and of a kingdom that won't be shaken. So he's definitely thinking about this as he's giving thanks. On that note, I'd I'd make a wager that the Apostle Paul also had Daniel's prayer life in mind as well when he teaches us in Philippians 4 that through Jesus, God is always near. Therefore, Philippians 4, 6-7, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As Christians, Jesus told us that we'll face trials, we'll face persecutions, we'll face hardships, both, both because of his name, but also because we live in a broken world. But yet we get to give thanks because he has overcome the world. Because through him and by his spirit, God is with us in the midst of every circumstance to comfort, to bring peace to give us strength to persevere, to give us a sound mind instead of fear. And above all, he gives us a sure hope through the cross that what others mean for evil, he'll work out for good. And that's, that's the primary message of the text this morning, I would argue, that what others meant for evil, God means for good. God can work out for good. Uh, but before I continue with that theme, I, I, I want to remind us of what Pastor Blair reminded us of last week as well. And it's that, that Daniel didn't just decide to pray in that moment as a, as a reaction to the law or even in spite of it. Rather, this is something he'd already been doing three times a day throughout his whole exile. Spending time with God in prayer was his, his life breath. And therefore, no law was going to stop him from doing what had kept him going and thriving through Babylon, through that, his whole time, right? For, for, for example, he didn't just start washing his hands only after hearing that a viral epidemic pandemic, was sweeping through the globe, right? He'd already been consistently and habitually washing his hands daily. But, but for many of us, it, it seems like we only get on our knees to pray when we're reacting to something. We only look to God when, when a trial or circumstance comes our way, and sometimes not even until it gets out of hand. But what does that really say about our faith? Why do we wait until the last minute? We, we need to recognize and, and learn from, from, from Daniel here that, that the reason Daniel's able to remain steadfast in his faith and prayer life during this situation and even within the lion's den It's because he's already been habitually steadfast in his relationship with God throughout his whole life. In the same way, we're we're, we're meant and called as Christians to be prepared for, for the trials or proverbial lion's dens that come our way by habitually maintaining our relationship with God and studying his word and focusing on his promises. Or else when we find ourselves in troublesome circumstances, especially ones that relate to our faith, our prayers, our prayers will, will be more like worried cries of fearful desperation, right, rather than confident and thankful petitions to God. In other words, it will sound more like King Darius in his uncertainty and fear. Right? It says he was unable to get any sleep the whole night that Daniel spent in the lion's den. He's, he's desperately fasting and wondering and hoping and wishing and just unsure if Daniel's God will come through and save him. In contrast to that, at the same time, Daniel's able to remain steadfast in his thanksgiving and in his faith in God, regardless of what he was facing. And again, Daniel's not without experience in these matters either, which probably helped, as we've learned throughout our series so far, Daniel's seen and experienced over and over again throughout his life and in the life of his friends, how God is faithful and sovereign in these situations. Not only how the Lord comforts and and protects and strengthens those he loves, but ultimately how God, in his sovereignty and by his perfect will, is able to take what others meant for evil and turn it for good. And speaking of evil, those politicians and administrators who tricked King Darius into signing the law, they, they definitely had evil intentions, right? For, for whatever reason, they, they wanted Daniel dead and gone. And they were certainly clever in their, their deceitful way of, of going about it, right? Uh, I mean, even after catching Daniel in the act, as they knew that they would, and I'm reminded of that picture Blair showed last week, they are hiding behind the curtain while Daniel's praying, um it's probably what it looked like they're probably ready um but they don't even tell the king right away instead they slyly reminded the king of the new law they're like hey hey king didn't you make a law right uh verse 12 they're like so they approached the king and asked about his edict didn't you sign like just remind me like we're not sure um but didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? Like, like they're unsure they created the law, <laughs> but they just wanted to make sure that they had the king caught, right? And so the king answered, you know, in his, his authority and as, as, a, as a Mede and Persian, when, when they make a law, it has to be followed through It. So the king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. And so I'm sure that they did a little happy jig at that moment and and giggled with evil glee Um, after hearing the king confirm his law as irrevocable. They're probably really excited, right? Their evil plan was working. Everything was falling into place just as they had planned. They had caught Darius in, in their scheme, and he didn't even know it yet, right? And so that's when they finally tattletale on Daniel. And then Darius, who highly respects Daniel, is devastated. I'm sure he's like, what have I done? Right? And so he spends a whole day trying to think of a way to save Daniel from this dumb law that he's been tricked into implementing. But to no avail. Eventually, the the evil administrators come back and they remind him again that the law and the punishment have to be followed through. It's the Persian way. And at this point, it seems like evil has won this round. Right, if we've never read the story before, if we've never heard the story before, if we were there in that moment, it seems like evil had won. The king has been tricked into finding Daniel guilty and regrettably sentences him to an unjust and undeserving death. And Daniel subsequently finds himself being thrown into the lion's den. And then a stone is rolled over the entrance and it's sealed by royal officials, to make sure that no one tampers with it. And then Darius, King Darius, full of guilt, full of sadness, genuinely calls out to Daniel, saying, I hope your God, whom you continually serve, rescues you. But again, he's, he's not so sure, is he? It's For him, it's a fool's hope that Daniel would be alive the next morning when the stone was rolled away. No question, he'd He'll be killed, he'll be eaten by these wild and hungry lions. Evil will have certainly won the day. From Daniel's perspective, though, maybe it's possible that Daniel's reminded of Joseph, who in Egypt hundreds of years before this had also been unjustly thrown into a well and then into a pit after being sold into slavery by his brothers and then falsely accused of, of assault but upon being rescued by God and then being used to save all his people from starvation, he was able to later proclaim to his ashamed brothers that what they intended for evil, God intended for good. And So when it seems like evil has won, let's remember this. When it seems like all hope is lost, Or if it seems like our culture's morality line has has seemingly sunken too low. Or or when we hear about Christians facing persecution and executions for their faith across the world. Or when we're demonized and ostracized for our own faith, maybe at work or on social media, which I'd argue is today's digital lion's den. Or when we feel like the church is in decline. Or or when laws are, are introduced in our country that to us seem so obviously targeted towards our beliefs and our callings as Christians. When it seems like evil is winning, or as we live our lives as exiles in this foreign land, let's be of good courage and trust in God with thankfulness, because he's actually winning, and because it's in times like these where we often see God move in a major way. As Mark Sayers writes, to many, such a time as this seems foreboding. Unknown and unsafe. If we measure what is happening through the metrics of success the world offers, it can seem worrying, yet examining our moment through spiritual lenses, we will discover this transition or these, this trial that we're going through opens up all kinds of new possibilities. Renewal follows periods of crisis, change, and transition. Or as James Burns writes, according to his, horacle, his historical studies on revival, He writes, God has set a limit to the defection of his church. When the night is at its darkest, the dawn is on the way. When it seems like evil is winning, let's not forget that God is actually winning. Let's not forget that through the cross, God has already won. What others intend for evil, God can and does reorchestrate for his good purpose. He does this for those who love and trust him. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So like Daniel, our, our trust in God through hard times, even in the face of death, it doesn't need to waver. If we trust Him, God will work out His perfect purpose, which is ultimately to sanctify us and to usher us into His kingdom. Psalm 49, verse 5, and then, well, Psalm 49 is on this topic, but I'm just going to read three verses. Psalm 49, verse 5, and 14 to 15, the, the psalmist asks, Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. But this is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol, which means the grave. Death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste the way in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. So why should he fear? When life, eternal life, is waiting for him. And this is exactly how it goes for Daniel, right? When the morning comes, we find that Daniel, who's upright and innocent in the sight of God and is unafraid, and and he is the one who's, who's rescued, and he comes out, the stone is rolled away, and he comes out unharmed, right? He's rescued from death. And then he lives the rest of his life in prosperity. Whereas it's the arrogant and the evil manipulators, his foes, who find death. In fact, in the morning, King Darius is is so shocked, right? And and he's overjoyed to find that God had sent an angel to shut the mouths of all the lions and save Daniel from their wrath. And Daniel tells him why. And he says the answer is twofold. First of all, that God, the just judge, had found Daniel innocent based on his faithful obedience and trust, and secondly, because he was also innocent before the king. And this is a reminder that God's judgment not man's, not man-made laws, is what ultimately matters in the end. And as Christian exiles in this world, sometimes we'll have to choose fear of man or fear of God. Being obedient to to the law of man or to God. Just like how in the book of Acts, when the, the disciples are told under the threat of punishment and death to stop preaching Jesus, and they say, whether it's right to obey you or God, we can't say, but we cannot stop preaching what we have seen and heard. So man-made laws may inadvertently or purposely try to prevent us from, from living our lives for God, from praying or, or following Jesus, but our answer should always be the same. We choose to follow God. No matter what they try to do, they can't stop us from preaching what we have seen and heard. The decision, This decision to obey God rather than man is what saved Daniel. So upon seeing this miracle, King, King Darius makes a decree to, to everyone in the kingdom, which also reminds us that it's God, not Daniel, who is the main character of this story. We have to understand that we always focus on Daniel, but this is God moving through the whole thing and weaving his plan into the whole thing. Darius recognizes this at the end, and so he, he, he says in verses 26 to 27, I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Obviously, you can't force people to believe in God, which Darius is trying to do there. This has to be a personal decision of faith upon being called by him. But what this declaration did serve to accomplish on, on top of making God's glory and, and dominion and, and, and his, his, his ability to rescue known was that it actually gave religious freedom for all of God's people under the reign of the Persians and may have even played a large part in influencing King Cyrus to allow them to go home to Jerusalem about a year later. So again, what was intended for evil, God intended for good. And when we think back, when the stone was rolled over the lion's den, right, it had seemed like evil had won the day. But by the next morning, evil was put to shame and crushed, literally, by the lions. And God had finally revealed his winning hand, a winning hand he'd been playing the whole time which was not just about saving Daniel, but more importantly, about revealing himself to King Darius and the whole kingdom. It was about giving his people a sign through Daniel's experience that he would be with and even rescue those who trusted in him from their exile. As as Ian M. Duguid writes, God demonstrated that he could keep his people safe in the midst of their enemies. Life in exile would never be easy, nor would it ever be home. However, through God's faithfulness, it was possible for his people to survive the exile as strangers and aliens. On that end we might be wondering, you know, why why was Daniel rescued from the Lion's Den when so many others aren't? Right? Many Christians die or are martyred because of their faith. So what's the deal? What's what's going on here? And we have to understand that that's because this story, just like the fiery furnace, isn't meant to teach us a Uh, a lesson that as long as we stand in faith, no harm will come our way. Jesus actually, again, Jesus tells us that we'll face persecution for believing in him. So this can't be the lesson. Right? So what's the point? First of all, as I just said earlier, then this story is an encouragement and a sign for God's people that he will rescue us from our lion's den, which ultimately is our exile, and that he will eventually bring us unharmed into the promised land. Secondly, and in the same vein, the story is a reminder that he's also using our trials and our time in exile to spread and proclaim his kingdom. Matthew five fourteen says, In the same way let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Daniel did this, right? And King Darius gave glory to God. And this also reminds us that, that we can live and even suffer for Christ in confidence and in boldness, knowing that we're here for a purpose. Or as it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. And finally, and most importantly, Daniel's salvation from the lion's den is a future reminder or a foreshadowing for all that to escape the wages of sin and the power of death in the final judgment, that like Daniel, we must have faith in God and be found innocent in the sight of God. And thankfully for us, we know that this is what Jesus fulfilled for us as sinners through his life of perfect obedience and ultimately in his death on the cross. In fact, the, parallel, the parallels between this story and Jesus' death and resurrection are, are strongly evident, showing us an, that, that Daniel's experience is actually foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. Let me explain. Like Daniel, Jesus also spent time in prayer, and thanksgiving and and giving his petitions to God before he was then falsely accused of treason by his enemies and subsequently sentenced to death by someone in authority who didn't really want to do it. And then both Daniel and Jesus were unjustly condemned to die. Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus hung on the cross. And in both circumstances, someone cried out to God to save them. To Daniel, it was a plea of hope. But to Jesus, it was proclaimed in jest. And like like Daniel, Jesus was also placed in a grave which was sealed by a huge stone slab so that no human hands could intervene. But while Daniel had an angel to comfort him in his despair and to shut the mouths of lions, escaping their wrath, Jesus refused to call on God's armies of angels for help. Instead, though he was perfectly innocent and righteous, Jesus not only suffered the threat of death, he willingly took on the full weight of death, the full wrath of God for sin. And I'm sure that as the stone slab later sealed his tomb, it seemed like evil had won. It seemed like death had taken the victory. But something bigger was going on. Something bigger was going on than even what happened with Daniel. God was about to turn evil on its head and turn it for good. Because on the morning of the third day, Mary and some of the women found that the the stone had been rolled away, and and the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid was empty. Then an angel reported to them that Jesus was alive, that the Spirit of God had raised him from the dead. By his perfect sacrifice, he'd conquered sin and the grave, and not for himself, but once for all. Jesus suffered the fate for all the guilty ones. For us, Jesus took on the punishment for our sin and our guilt. And because he died for our sins, not his own, death had no hold on him. And now all who believe in the name of Jesus can experience eternally what Daniel experienced in the lion's den. Resurrection. Forgiven by grace and covered in the righteousness of Christ, we're now judged by God as innocent and guiltless in his eyes. And therefore rescued from the power of sin and death. So as the song proclaims, the cross meant to kill is our victory. What was meant for evil, God intended for good. And therefore, we can proclaim with the Apostle Paul and all the saints from 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those like Daniel who have gone before us, before us, Lord, and, and, and for what they've experienced in order to teach us who you are, how great you are, how loving you are, how merciful you are, that you comfort us and protect us even in times of trial More importantly, and most of all, Lord, that you have the ability to take what others mean for evil and turn it for good. And I thank you that you revealed that to us ultimately at the cross. When Jesus died for our sin, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, for for who you are. I thank you Lord for our salvation. We thank you for your grace that you've poured out over us Lord. I thank you that this story would be a reminder that we can walk with confidence, that we can live for you with boldness. And I pray that in the power of your spirit working in us Lord God, we would be able to do that even at this time when when we're facing uh, this pandemic that's going on in 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 our in our country, in our world right now, Lord, I pray that we would be able to walk without fear. But with love and kindness and boldness, knowing that you have the ability to work all things for the good of those who love you, Lord. Jesus, we give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen.